Hello, welcome to Solid Steps Radio. This is Kurt Souter, and this week we have a special honor that we want to do. We're going to listen to an old show that we aired a while back with Dr. T. Vaughn Walker and his colleague and real good friend, Dr. Chuck Tackett. This past weekend, Dr. Walker passed away, went home to be with the Lord, and we want to just honor and remember his legacy here in the Louisville community. He had an incredible influence on many, many folks here in Louisville, and especially ministers and pastors, those who were preaching the gospel, leaned heavily on this uh, gentle giant. He was a retired Southern Seminary professor. Uh, He pastored for 35 years at First Gethsemane Baptist Church, and was just incredibly influential in our community. Uh, He's survived by Dr. uh, uh, Cheryl Walker, three adult children, David Walker, Mary Walker, and Aaron Griffin. And so we're just going to listen to this old show in honor and memory of this great, great man of faith. I think we could uh, echo what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy about Dr. Walker. He has fought the good fight. He's kept the faith. He has finished the race. And now there is stored up for him a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to him on that day. So let's enjoy and uh, remember and reflect on a great man of faith, Dr. T. Vaughn Walker. Today, we've got a couple guys in the room. We are out of our league. Kurt, we've got two doctors in the room, so we Look out. Really, we're in trouble. Uh, <laughs> but uh, these two guys have committed to say we're going to figure out this whole racism thing today. So we're going to get this all worked out in one hour. In one hour, we're going to be done. I'm feeling very confident. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Dr. Chuck Tackett, welcome to the show. Welcome back to the show. That's right. Great to be back, guys. And Dr. Vaughn Walker. Delighted to be here. It's it is great to have you guys, and uh, we just want to. Okay, first of all, you you guys are both have uh, are professors. You are both in the professional world. You both mm-hmm. have doctorate degrees, and uh, so you, uh, you you guys are really you are very sharp. According to Chad and me, um, you're like way way over us. But we're we're just thrilled to have you here. And we want to talk about uh, racism. We want to talk about black and white. And, um, you know, because at the very beginning of time, you know, God, in his heart, when he created man, he, he wants us to get along. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12 that we're to live in harmony with one another. But ever since Cain and Abel, we've had problems, uh, all kinds of problems. And uh, so let's talk about that. So um, for, for, first of all, though, Dr. Walker, you have been married how long? 43 years as of August the 3rd. That's good. Yes. Less, I, I think you're going to... I think met you're gonna, her on a campus and as an undergraduate, and I won't let her go. <laughs> I think you're going to make it. I hope so, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and Dr. Tackett, you've, uh, you've been married to your bride how long? 40 years. 40 years. You got bet. 80, 83 years between you two. Mm-hmm. That's some serious... And, uh, and uh, Dr. Walker, you have been teaching at Southern Seminary and a pastor for... I, I retired from Southern last July after 30 years of teaching there. I'm still there as a senior professor working with doctoral students and been the pastor of First Gethsemane Baptist Church in Louisville for the past 33 years. Mm-hmm. And counting. And counting. Uh, you, and and, and uh, the church history, you said uh, the church was started back 100 and... 1910, 107 years ago, and there have been five pastors in that tenure. 
two locations, originally almost on the campus of the University of Louisville, and uh, moved to Algonquin in 1972 because of the expansion of the campus. So it's been a blessed congregation, not a large congregation, but a consistently blessed congregation. Mm. That's uh, God's used you faithfully. Thir- in spite of me, he used say, us. Well, that's, yes. that's true for all of us. That's, uh, and Dr. Tackett, you've, uh, you've, been, uh, you've, you've also taught at Southern. Uh, oh, yeah, um, until about 2004. And then uh, you've been a uh, clinical yeah. psychologist in the Commonwealth since January of 1991. 1991. Mm-hmm. And you, you do some preaching and uh, yep. Yep. speaking all over the place. And mm-hmm. uh, so good. So, so let's talk about racism, though. What, mm-hmm. you, you, what really triggered this whole thing, this conversation, was Chuck, you mentioned to me, we had, we had lunch a while back, and mm-hmm. you, Tell us the story of what, what happens to you when you connect with your brother, Dr. Yeah. Walker. Well, when I'm, when I'm out and about, um, you know, and Dr. Walker and I are having lunch with one another or uh, one of my other African-American pastor friends in the community have been out having lunch, um, one of the dominant things that happens is that most of the time um, when we're seated at the lunch table, I'm the one that gets addressed first most of the time. And, we, you know, most of us don't see that as being, a, you know, racist in a sense. Um, but it is uh, unintentional for the most part, you know, uh, because one of the most racist things we can do is just simply not see someone. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that it's not that we're actually saying any, you know, derogatory words or anything like that. It's just simply not seeing someone of a different racial background. And that in, a, in and of itself is discriminatory. Yeah. Yes. So, Dr. Walker, when that happens, mm-hmm. what goes through your heart and mind? Actually, I'm, I was not sensitive to that until he said that. I just think because he's gray, they think he's the old guy. <laughs> <laughs> they just simply go <laughs> to the old guy first, you know. <laughs> uh, honestly, it's not, I guess all your life is probably something that occurred that it's a minor thing for me. There are many other actions that are much more overt, yeah. that uh, are much more offensive than something like that. Especially when he's picking up the check, you know, it's not <laughs> not a really a big deal for me. So. <laughs> uh, so, well, what? Give us a de- uh, kind of a working definition of racism. Well, I define racism as power. Mm-hmm. It's when you can exercise power over another simply because of your race or background. Um, The isms are power issues. Sexism is about men having power over women. And I understand the biblical understanding of, of the head, the husband, the head of the wife, and that kind of thing, and I actually teach that. But it does not give me authority to have power over my wife to manipulate her or control her. And racism for me is when one uses their race, consciously or unconsciously, to keep that other person sort of in the second seat, uh, to, uh, to prevent them from having some of the advantages that maybe they've earned. Let me ask you this, Dr. Walker. Have you, have you seen that more... Um, in the last few years, have you, is that more inadvertent 
um, when you see that the, the, that power, or is it more? Um, well, I grew up in rural Virginia, in a very segregated community, and there was absolute power by whites over blacks. My high school graduation class, I actually went to what was the white high school. And I graduated with one other African-American. I was the only African-American male in my class. I had a very good experience there, but it was quite evident the school board was all white. Uh, The disparity between the two schools was so blatant. I'm the first African-American in my county to play football, and was literally told at the black school we can't afford to buy lights for the football team. Then found out later, they said, well, others bought the lights for the white high school. And so, you know, those are the kind of subtle things that happen. Uh, mm. A window would be broken in both schools. Uh, in the African-American school, they would, uh, at that time, just let it stay broken for a week or so just to teach us a lesson. The white school, it would be repaired within an hour. So you may, if you didn't walk by it, you wouldn't know the window had been broken. You know, those are the kinds of things where power was used. So in those days, it was much more overt. Today, people generally are kind and accommodating, especially Christians. But it's the subtle, unseen kinds of aspects of racism that we experience today when a position is available and you're not even considered. You're not even in the mind of the person who's a decision maker. And it's all about race. It's nothing about anything else about race. You, uh, African-American may have equal education, excellent grades, good work performance, but they're not going to be considered. I mean, I hear all this about blacks have these positions and they didn't earn them and, you know, trying to fill a quota well, for everyone that has a quota, there were 50 who were not even considered. Seriously. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, many of my friends have been one of the three or four for a position, but they literally knew they were not going to get the position before they even interviewed. They just went through the motions of it to learn how to interview more effectively, that kind of thing. That, that's the subtle way that it's being still done at every level. So, Dr. Walker, in um, as you over the last uh, couple decades, have you seen improvement in that or no? Oh, no question. There's been improvement of race relations. I'm sitting here with you guys. I'm sitting here with three white guys. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't mean to put that down, right. but there was a day that that would have been impossible. Mm-hmm. I probably could have only come in this building if I were the custodian. And so, the, you know, the day has changed, and mm-hmm. things are better. There is no question things are better. And there are persons of all races and genders who are, you know, leaders in our society, and they influence things. I mean, you can go downtown, and you might get an African-American judge, mm-hmm. which totally changes the dynamics of that whole justice system. Again, it's about power. Mm. Uh, uh, you know, African-Americans are still saying— Uh, Our people are getting longer sentences. Mm -hmm. Uh, All white juries that sometimes are very insensitive to the issues. 
you know, and there's a lot of, it's a long story. I don't want to dominate this, but there's a long story of what happens in a very subtle way. Uh, You know, something like voting. Well, voting determines who's on on a jury pool, who's in a jury pool. And so if we make the laws more rigid for voting, then you have, in fact, then reduced the pool of people who can be on a jury who then will influence to the, the, the be able to see the person who's before you as a person, not as a black person or a white person, that's the big difference. Wow. We're going to continue to unpack, but we need to take a break. We'll be back shortly on Solid Steps Radio. Welcome back to our second segment of Solid Steps Radio. I'm Chad Russell. That is Kurt Satter. We're here with Dr. Vaughn Walker and Dr. Chuck Tackett, both of First Gethsemane Church here in Louisville, Kentucky. And, uh, you know, we're talking about racism today and we want to talk about the differences and we want to talk about the similarities. One similarity that uh, everyone has is they want to be able to have good vision. So they need to go to Vision First Eye Care. Uh, That is who we go to and we thank them for the sponsorship of their show. We also want to thank Bright Star and uh, Home Care. They help folks stay in their homes who want to be self-sufficient. And then Ellen and Credit Union, a great local lending institution. So we want to thank those folks for partnering with us and sponsoring our show. Okay, so Dr. Tackett, you, uh, in the break, Dr. Walker, you said racism in your kind of a working definition is power over. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Tackett, you, give us a practical kind of definition from yeah. your perspective. Yeah, I think more from a ministerial clinical point of view uh, to me, in a biblical point of view, is racism predominantly at its core is about hate, okay? And so when we look at the, the word hate uh, in the New Te- from a New Testament Greek background, uh, we see that hate really has three elements to it. And the first element it's got is, I look at you and I see you, uh, I see you in disfavor. So I really don't see less you. Than. I see you as less than. I see you in disfavor. And part of that is, I really am not looking at your worth before God, mm. okay? I'm, I'm not seeing you as someone who was created by God and someone who ultimately belongs to God. So I'm viewing you with disfavor. And then that there's kind of three stages here. The second stage is, when I continue to view you with disfavor, eventually I develop this anger and hostility towards you. And so that anger and that hostility comes up and comes out. So in a racial context, it comes out with discriminatory behaviors, okay? So I have this, this sense of this hostility towards you. And then the, the third element of that is this sense of feud where, where we get this back and forth going, where I relate to you in a hateful way and you respond back in an angry and hateful way towards me. And we just kind of have this you know, feud. So here in the Commonwealth, it'd be like the Hatfields and the McCoys. Okay, we just continue going at one another uh, after five generations, and frankly, we don't have any idea why we're shooting one another. Okay, but it's what we've always done, so that's, that's exactly what we do. Now, I, I will say, being the age that I am and growing up in Dayton, Ohio, I clearly remember signs over restrooms. And I remember being downtown with my mom on one occasion in Dayton, Ohio, getting ready to go into, at that time, Reich's department store, and I was getting, I saw a sign for a restroom, I need to go to the restroom. And I, so I started to walk toward the restroom and my mom grabs me and pulls me back. And she says, Chuck, you can't go in that restroom. And I said, well, mom, why not? And she said, well, look at the sign. And yeah, mom, restroom. 
that's men's restroom. That's where I want to go. And she said, well, that's not for all, our kind. And I gave her the most dumbfounded look that I think I ever gave my mom. It's a restroom. It's a man's restroom. I don't understand why I can't go in it. Well, it wasn't for my race. Mm-hmm. Okay? And so I grew up seeing those signs and, and was aware of that. But I also grew up in a multiracial community. I grew up right next to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio. So all of my life, I had African-American friends. I had Hispanic friends. I had friends from various uh, countries in Southeast Asia. That was just the environment that I grew up in. So here I am growing up in the late 50s and early 60s, and I'm living in a multicultural context with a racist dad, which I don't think my dad could figure out. If you're racist, you might not want to live in a multicultural context, okay? (laughs) So in some respects, dad wasn't all that swift, okay? Um, But so from the very beginning, I, I would see in the greater community this sense of hate um, but in the community that I was actually living in, we didn't hate one another. We were friends with one another. We engaged one another. You know, we saw the commonality that we had with one another, and that was what was really beneficial to me growing up. And so I really feel a whole lot more comfortable in a multiracial context um, than I do in an all-white context because I'm just used to being in a multicultural context and feel extremely comfortable mm. because I can read all of the groups and I can figure out what's going on very rapidly by reading all of the groups. You put me in an all-white context, it's like, okay, i got to think on one rail. Mm. And that's just not the rail that I, I grew up with. Well, and Chuck, you mentioned in the break the, uh, the difference. We have so many things uh, that are common right. than, our, than our differences. Talk, both of you, talk right. about that a little, a little bit. Well, you know, I have the privilege, as Dr. Walker's noted, you know, of, of working with a number of African-American couples, you know, at First Gethsemane. Uh, and I do count that to be a great privilege and a great honor to be able to do that. Um, and, and I can say, I, I don't, when I'm dealing with an African-American couple, I don't deal with any different problems that they have versus, you know, African-American couples have versus Caucasian couples have. The same the Caucasian couples get into the same problems and have the same issues and the same concerns as the African-American couples that I work with, mm-hmm. you know. Um, you know, so we do have a whole lot more in common, and, and couples are, are worried about, okay, are they going to build a relationship and, and job security and all of that stuff, you know, is, is something that impacts every single couple I deal with. Dr. Walker, your thoughts on that? I think those differences are exaggerated by the society, by media, uh, that human problems are human problems. Sin is sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, people who love Christ uh, develop the kind of values that are more in common. I have much more in common with my Christian brother mm-hmm. than I have with uh, a man who does not know God. Mm-hmm. Uh, the African-American community, in a cliché way, way, we call each other brother and sister, but the reality is Chuck and I are more brothers Amen. Amen. around Christ than some of those guys who Amen. deny Christ and letting him take rule and reign over their lives. Mm-hmm. Mm. It takes a while to get to that point. It mm. takes trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wrote down the word fear. One of the things that happens, I think, with, with uh, racial differences are the differences we are fearful of and maybe we don't need to be as fearful as we pretend to be 
Mm-hmm. But uh, <clears throat> that southern environment that I grew up in, it was a environment of isolation. However, my grandmother, who was a great Christian woman, would share with the people, because it was a rural community, share with people in our community beyond racial lines. And so when we slaughtered hogs or harvested crops from our garden, we shared it with the poor white community. Uh, down, They lived on the same road. It was in the street. Mm. Uh, so my, my granny would qu- quickly say, Vaughn, take this down to this particular, the Beatley family, take it down to them, because she realized they didn't have nearly as much as we had. We were in, in country, middle class, blacks, because we owned property and, and that kind of thing, and they were renters and very poor. They thought to themselves better than, than us just because they were white, but uh, they, did, they would humbly accept when we brought food to them. Wow, how did you detect that? That that they, because I, I want to I want to get into how how can at times we as white people be offensive? Uh, you know, just the way they carried themselves, the way they talked down to us, that kind of thing. But because we were Christians, and my grandmother just so committed mm. to who she was as a Christian, she and her husband who was not my grandfather, she, he, uh, her, they founded our church. And then he died, she married his first cousin who was my grandfather, so all of us were walkers. So she was sensitive to that. What, poor whites really had a hard time accepting the fact they were poor, and maybe even much more poor than African Americans, some in that community. <clears throat> that was a hard thing for them to accept because their whole orientation is they were better. And, we, you know, my grandmother didn't have us do that to make them feel ashamed. It was just who she was in Christ. She, she was genuinely looking at a, a family down the road who needed, right. needed some encouragement and needed some help and hope. Right. They were embarrassed to accept it. Uh, and understand a lot of African Americans today who may not have as much as others are often very embarrassed to have to be on welfare and and that kind of thing. It's totally different than what the media portrays, that here are all these people who don't want to work and all of that. Just have a vacancy for a position, and you'll have 300, 500 people show up for one vacancy because most people that I know really want to work. Most men I know really want to provide Mm -hmm. for their families. Mm -hmm. And the laws of this nation, you know, separated families. If the man was in the home, that was the uh, you couldn't get money for, you know, lunch programs and that kind of thing. So the men had to leave the home. We have destroyed the mm-hmm. the black man. So this is a show about men. We have really destroyed the psychic of black men in caring for their families. But I mean, I think about the guys who come to church. They are hardworking guys. Amen. We have to stop them from working three and four jobs and say, mm-hmm. you got to give the Lord some time because, mm-hmm. you know, on Sunday they're exhausted. They've, they've worked. We're gonna we're gonna continue to um, talk about that, and I and I want to I, I still want to continue to have our listeners and ourselves learn really how how we can be offensive. But we need to take a break right now, and we're gonna talk about also here locally in our own backyard. What do we do as Christians, whether you're black or white? What do we do to to mend and and do a practical day to day 
uh, what do we do on our end uh, to, to contribute to healing? So we're going to take a break. We'll be back shortly on Solid Steps Radio. Welcome back to our third segment of Solid Steps Radio. Thank you for listening. If you want to hear this show in its entirety or any of our past shows, you can do that. And we'd love for you to. You can go to a couple of different places. You can go to soundcloud.com, Facebook, or you go to iTunes and just type in Solid Steps Radio. And then you'll see Kurt and I and you click on the picture and you can hear all of our almost two years worth now of, of uh, commercial-free shows, thanks to our sponsors, Vision First, Bright Star, and LNN Credit Union. And uh, we're talking today with Dr. Vaughn Walker and Dr. Chuck Tackett, both of First Gethsemane Church, about racism and uh, how, how we live together. How can we all just get along? You know, uh, guys, many times we... I, I think there's so many people, they don't, they don't get up in the morning and go, how can I be the biggest jerk in the world? How can I be offensive? And how can I be a just, uh, you know... Uh, uh, be a rock in somebody's shoe but many times unintentionally we we can we can fall in that category we can be offensive when we're not even trying to be mm-hmm. dr walker talk to us about that how, how ways that we as white folks can be offensive to you blacks and we don't even mean to but we do or, or we are you know, as a professional educator, to be in an environment when maybe you're one of the only one or one of few who are operating hopefully on an equal level with the other professionals, to be frequently left out of the information flow and find out later that decisions have been made behind your back not so much intentionally, just never included you in their thought process of maybe you have something to contribute to the discussion. And so that happened a number of times in curriculum decisions, uh, how processes would, would occur in an educational environment. I'd find out everybody else knew, and I found out later. You know, it makes you feel devalued a little mm. bit, okay? Um, I, I, just, I think uh, my spouse sometimes in her environment found the same thing. And sometimes it's not just black-white. Uh, it's just, you know, again, I said racism on just, just power is too short a definition maybe. But people who are in authority tend to overlook those who work under them. I'm sure you guys have felt that uh, when decisions were made and you could have made a significant contribution to it, but maybe because they didn't think you were at that level. I parked in your parking lot and I realized I got out of the car. It said executive parking only. I said, oh man, I'm going to get towed. I'm nervous because I thought I was late because I went to the building next door thinking that was your address so I'm already anxious a little bit so I'm pulling my car out probably almost running over one of the guys out there in the in the cutting the grass you know uh I'm just feeling anxious because you know you know you're not the executive you, and, and and honestly probably subconsciously I'm an African-American pulling up here uh, I don't know where I am I've never been here before uh mm. and 
to walk in the door, find nice lady downstairs. She was so nervous that I knocked on the door. I'm looking for you. And uh, she backed up a little bit, and I said, uh, uh, I gave her your name. And she said, I think there's a radio uh, company upstairs, but I'm not sure. Would you go down there? Uh, I felt she felt very uneasy with me. She may not have been. It could have been just me because I was being anxious at that point. Mm. I think those are the kind of little subtle things that occur. I think we talked about earlier my son drilling him as a teenager and then as a young man. You're teaching him, training him to what? To say, look, if you're pulled over by the police— Yield, put your hands on the wheel, and don't make any sudden moves. This is before all these killings we've been hearing about lately, because we knew as African American men in particular, you yield. You don't give them, if I may say, any lip. <laughs> you just do what they tell you to do. And we actually at the church, the men's ministry at our church, actually did that with all of the young men in our church. Trained them. We said, look, guys, when you're stopped, you, this is not a time to argue that you're innocent. This is a time to yield and obey, okay? And uh, because we're so nervous about what happens, and I am, I am appalled but not so surprised that we are seeing so many African-American men just shot by the police. They're nervous. I I asked, we have some African-American police persons in our church, Mm -hmm. and uh, one named Bob, who is a a minister now. He's a minister. He's a retired police person here. And he said, you understand, when we pull our gun, when you pull the gun, you shoot. And we shoot to kill. Because I asked him, why do you always have to kill? I said, why don't you just shoot him in the leg or something like that? He said, our training is because our lives are on the line. If you feel the situation is so risky, that uh, so serious enough that you need to pull your gun, you're pulling and you're not giving them a chance to negotiate. You're pulling to shoot and kill. And it was kind of hard for me to understand that, but that's the protocol for their training. So, you know, this whole thing, an African-American guy who maybe had dreadlocks and just looks a little different, maybe just a regular little teenage kid, uh, I can understand these police persons are really nervous when they pull up to a situation like that. It was surprising, I think, just last night or yesterday, we had a, a white woman from Australia, I think, Mm-hmm. that was shot by a man of color, not an American, but he's a man of color. He may be an American citizen now. And they are, they are charging him potentially now with murder because he was one of two in the car. I think it was in Minnesota. And the window was down, and he was not the driver. Somehow he shot this woman who had called for the police to come and help because she thought someone was being abused. And so it'll be interesting to see how that it's tragic, but interesting to see how that will work mm. out. But right now they're talking about charging him. Well, for African American, all these people are being exonerated and we're saying, You got the video. <laughs> what's going on here? Mm-hmm. Okay? We can't understand that. What what's going on here? So boy, you know, African Americans are really excited about body cameras and and all of that, because maybe some people, regardless of their color, 
who shouldn't be police persons are going to be put off the force because mm-hmm. it, it but it's about being nervous it's not it's about not knowing the other person uh uh you know the fear that I'm back to that fear word again fear and not being exposed do you know you know it used to be funny that and it's funny but not funny that whites used to say i can't distinguish one black from another now i heard that growing up mm-hmm. <laughs> well it's it's about exposure because mm-hmm. when i went to that all white high school uh i couldn't tell whites from each other i can do it very well now <laughs> but because you had been isolated from them you go into that environment and you begin to see people not as white but as bob joe jane you begin to distinguish them as individuals and to value their personalities. And I had a very good experience. I, it may have sound negative earlier. I, graduating from that school, I only went there two years. Uh, my wife jokes, I was in the yearbook 21 times my senior year. <laughs> I was vice president of the class, you know, co-captain of the basketball team, played on all four sports, involved in the Youth for Christ Club, co-president. Those kinds of things happen because that group of people began to see me as a person. They saw Vaughn. They didn't just see a black kid. Yet, the most nervous part of my career there, I told this yesterday, I taught a class on multiculturalism yesterday. The most nervous part was that that school, the athletes had leather sweaters, not coats like many. Mm-hmm. And they would have big pep rallies, and it was tradition of the school that the young women of the school would ask one of the guys to wear their leather sweater. Well, a white pastor's daughter, who had been taught by her pastor, her dad, to love all people, asked to wear my sweater. Mm. I was petrified. I thought I might be killed. I did let her wear my sweater, but I have never been so nervous in my entire life. I literally, at that, at that pep rally, was trembling because it was such a dangerous thing to do in 1967, 68. It was such a dangerous thing. But really, she was... She was being kind. She was trying to honor you. Her dad, as a Christian, had taught her to love all people. She saw nothing wrong with asking to wear my sweater. And I did, but I'm telling you, I was so nervous. I I can't, I've been in some situations in my life, I can't remember any situation that I thought it could have cost me my life. Wow. We're gonna uh, we're gonna take a break, but we're gonna we're gonna come back and I wanna talk with you guys about how do we how do we make improvements? And right. as Christians, how right. do we honor one another and love one another and encourage one another the the way the Bible says blacks and whites. Mm -hmm. We'll take a break and we'll be back for our fourth and final segment on Solid Steps Radio. Welcome back to our fourth and final segment, unfortunately, but I'll tell you what, we like these guys so much and they have so much wisdom and knowledge. Uh, we want to stay on around for another bonus segment. So we're going to have a fourth segment you're going to hear on the radio. But if you're catching this, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, race and how we can bridge that gap. But in the fourth and final segment 
Uh, we're going to talk about that. We're also going to have a bonus segment after this. And if you want to hear that bonus segment, you're going to have to go to our Facebook, SoundCloud, iTunes, or you can go to furtherstoministries.org and click on the mic and you'll be able to hear all the bonus segment that we're going to have with Dr. Walker and Tackett. Dr. Walker, so you, 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 there has been improvement in the area of race. Absolutely. How do we continue to improve? How do we, how do we continue to make progress? Because we're not going to be perfect on this world. This is a sin-stained world and tainted with uh, you know, the, the nature of Adam. But we have hope in Christ. The second Adam has come. And because of that, uh, he's, he's, he transforms us. But talk about that with us, please. Of course, the Bible says love covers a multitude of sin. And so we have to intentionally decide it's a decision that ought to elevate itself to a commitment to love. Mm. Okay. I can choose, but then I have to stay committed to that. And so we have to love each other. Indeed, we have come a mighty long way. Some people have not come. In life, (laughs) not everybody is going to get saved. So not everybody's going to make that decision to intentionally say, I'm going to love you as my brother. If I was in the African-American church, I'm going to love the hell out of you. Okay? <laughs> I can't say that, you know, on Christian radio, of course. <laughs> <laughs> okay? Uh, but spending time, yeah. it becomes one-on-one. Uh, we can pass laws. But finally it comes down to you and me deciding we're going to be brothers. Mm -hmm. Now, I have two younger brothers. We have fought all of our lives. We love each other. We'd go to battle for each other. We disagree on some topics, but we love each other. Mm -hmm. And so brothers have to love each other. You don't Mm -hmm. always, my wife and I, 43 years, I love her so much, but we don't agree on everything. You don't? You don't? No, no, we've had to... (laughs) Work through some things, and only in Christ have we made it 43 years. Mm-hmm. Because I had another woman, and it was the church. And uh, we've had to work through that, that mm-hmm. the church didn't consume so much of me that I neglected her. Well, the same thing in personal relationships. We have to work through our moles and wrinkles and you know, we have some, some things in us that Christ is trying to work out of us. But indeed, things are better. I, I do it while we were not on the air, I talked about my children and the relationships that they have built growing up in a more desegregated world than I did. And they have dear friends. I talked about a birthday party that was like an international conference <laughs> because my little, little elementary person invited all her friends There are a few people from our predominantly African-American church, but she had other friends in class. And the people she picked as friends uh, were not all white or black or Asian. They were just just friends. Uh, My older daughter, she, um, uh, I I joked that when she got married, she was going to have a difficult time choosing her maid of honor because her very, very best friend is a Caucasian. And to pick her sister or her very best friend, it was going to be a difficult decision for her. And, and her friend, you know, is a part of our family. Mm. I mean, 
I mean, we know she's white, but she's a part of our family. You know, we, we love her because we know she loves us, too. Mm, that's and, and that's how we make the difference. That's a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Tackett, talk to us about, from your perspective. Yeah, I, I think from, from a Caucasian perspective, how do we you know, interface with the African-American community? Um, and for me, it just kind of comes down, comes down to three words or three phrases. Uh, first is see. You know, we, we don't spend enough time looking at one another and seeing one another, understanding one another in a holistic way. We don't understand one another's, you know, thinking one's, one another's emotional, life, emotional lives. Uh, you know, uh, we just don't spend enough time to actually see one another and truly, deeply understand one another. You know, so then the other part of it is, is just really say, I see you, and then I'm going to work. Second part is really understand you and all the perspectives that make up your life, okay? So one of my promises to the individuals at First Gethsemane is um, I will never understand what it means to be African-American. Because I'm Caucasian, it's not possible for me to understand what it means to be African-American in our culture. And so I'll never understand that. Here's my promise, though. I'm going to work to understand it as best as I can. Mm -hmm. That's going to be a goal. I'm going to work to understand it as best as I can. And I'm going to ask you if I'm off base on something, tell me. And much of the time, you know, when I speak on issues of, of racial relationships and uh, reconciliation issues at First Gethsemane and groups and stuff, I, I'll just I'll say, if I'm off, correct me. You mm -hmm. know, because I might be off on some things. Just offer me a correction and I'll listen to that. And then for me, the third thing is act respectfully. I mean, really spend time with one another and, and learn to learn as best as you can to act respectfully towards one another. Learn to value one another. Learn to listen to one another. You know, just in essence, practice it being respectful to one another. And so I've got to hear you. I've got to understand you. And I'm really not going to say anything till I really get you, till I really understand you, you know, and I'm going to treat you with dignity and respect. So when I'm at First Gethsemane or out and about in the community and I'm, I'm you know, connecting with African-American individuals, um, no matter the age of the individual, if it's a, if it's a young man or, you know, young boy, I'll say, sir. Mm. No matter if it's a female, I will just say, yes, ma'am. Because I'm trying to think of ways. What can I do to impart dignity? What can I do as a Caucasian to impart value? Honor. Right. What can I do to be respectful? What can I do to demonstrate honor? What, what can I do to engage you, to let you know that I see you, I'm seeking to understand you, I'm seeking to engage you, and that I respect you? Because I'm trying to see you from God's point of view, and I hope along the way you'll see me from God's point of view. And God sees you as being valuable. And simply because God sees you as being valuable, I've got to value you. I don't have a choice in that. I have to value you. You know, and so we have to take the time and our energy and, and invest that in one another. So years ago when Dr. Walker asked me to, in a very part-time way, be on staff at First Gethsemane, I mean, my first response was, yeah. You know, Doc, just tell me when to be there. I'll be there, <laughs> you know. And I think we had lunch on a Tuesday, and I was on staff on Sunday morning. Okay. <laughs> so uh, it was a little fast, but <laughs> I, I went home and talked to Kim about it, and she was perfectly fine with it, which I wasn't surprised by that at all. Um, but it's just just learning that, that we have to spend time with one another. And, and in that time, we've got to be respectful towards one another. 
and really listen and and see what you're really talking about. We're not we're not going to change you know the right. uh, the whole country. You're talking about a one individual at a time, one family, right. one couple at a time. Right. We we can't make a difference in the whole country, but we can make a difference. And and Chad it was what we talked we were talking about yesterday. A preacher says, "Do for one what you would do for all. What you would do for all. Mm-hmm. Right. And if we do that as Christians, yeah, do for one." What you would do for all, mm-hmm. you make a difference. Well, just mathematically, there are more Caucasians than African Americans. And so in the church, if we did that, if we took that principle and we applied that, racism would be greatly depleted in our community. Mm-hmm. And the, the power of Christ to change the individual would be overwhelmingly seen. And so lost people out there would, would just basically say, God can change people, that God is in the people changing business. And that's what we're all about. Amen. Oh. Guys, it's been a blast to have you in here. Thank you for sharing your heart. Thanks for sharing Thank your you. wisdom. And I'm going to ask both of you just a, a short mm-hmm. sentence prayer. Uh, just pray for us guys, uh, the listeners, that we would be men who would bridge the gap, that we would do what we need to do as, as Christ followers to love our neighbors as ourself. Would you guys pray, please? Yeah. Okay. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege to meet this day and talk with one another. We pray, Lord, that you'll take the words we've shared uh, and use them to bring you honor and glory and use them to bring us closer together, Lord. It's in your name I pray. And Father, we know that you hate sin mm. at every level. So let it begin first, Lord, in each of us. Amen. That we will approach others with a pure heart, a heart that has been consecrated and changed by you. I pray, God, for men in our congregations, because if not Christians who, that we might, Lord, be the change agents as you have changed us, Lord. Let us be instruments of change for this world. Mm -hmm. We rebuke the spirit of racism, sexism, any of those isms that hold people in bondage. Mm-hmm. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Dr. Walker, Dr. Tackett, thank you. Greatly appreciate you coming in. And uh, stick around. We're going to, uh, if you're just hearing this radio segment, we're going to finish up on the air, but we're going to have a bonus segment. Again, you can go to Facebook, SoundCloud, iTunes, or you can go to uh, furtherstillministries.org, and you're going to hear a bonus segment. We're going to talk about uh, what do we do more practical uh, in, in certain areas of, of Louisville and areas where there is violence, uh, what do we do who people who live on one end of town can help brothers and sisters on the other end of town? And we're going to talk about that in the podcast. And we're going to get all Dr. Walker, Dr. Tackett said they're going to figure all that out for us in the podcast. So um, <laughs> stay tuned to that. Hey, thank you for listening to Solid Steps Radio. <laughs>